podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Strongcast. I'm joined as always by Mark Boyd. Hello. How are you? All good? Yes. And we have the former WBO champ, Mr. Paul Weir. How are we? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How's your day, sir? Good. Just back for the gym. So let's get cracking into this because uh, I'm sure, well, you've had a long career, illustrious one. Lots of stories to tell. Yeah. Let's uh, take us back boxing as a kid. What's the backstory growing up? Who got you into it? What for you? Uh, yeah. Was there any other sports? Give us a little insight. Yeah, there was a... When I'll go with the boxing first. I started boxing when I was at school with a lot of guys for school. I think Rocky was on, you know, and you know it's like you all go. And some went to Springside, as Marco know. Yeah, Springside, and, yeah, yeah. And some went to the Magnum, and I went to the Magnum. Had a <coughs> couple of fights with the Magnum, and when you're at school, everyone knows you. In the ring or outside the Magnum? In the ring, in the Magnum. So we're boxing. In fact, the first, the, my first fight was at the Cooperative Halls at uh, Irvin Cross. Yeah. In yeah. 1983. Just to let everyone know, listening, Mark and Paul are pretty much from the same town. Five same minutes. place? Five minutes away? Five minutes away. So mm. they're very familiar with these areas. Yeah, yeah. Magnum is a, a sort of swimming community centre. Leisure centre. Leisure centre. It was. Yeah. It's knocked down now. Well, I don't think there's any leisure centres left, is there? Or not yeah, many? You've got the one in Kilmarnock, the yeah, Galleon. The Galleon. Uh, the Galleon centre. Right. The one in Ardrossan. Right. So, Sorry, anyway. let's get into it. So we started at school, went there and... I enjoyed, I, I liked the, 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 the discipline aspect to boxing, you know, you were limited to what you, no limited, but you you were restricted to what you could do, when you could do it, whereas like so I played ice hockey as well at the Magnum, mm. and I played football, but football, I was always fighting on <laughs> on the park, uh, getting suspended. <laughs> Practicing the boxing. Basically, so boxing, there was no, I was never going to make any money playing ice hockey, at the time it wasn't a big sport in the UK. In boxing, I just continued to box, and people say, "Why do you come to Springside? You'd be a better club for you going." So I went and tried it, and there was always, as Marco probably would be aware, there was always rivalry between the areas and yeah. the, the small towns. So Springside had a bit of a reputation of being a, a rough area. You know, if you went there, you'd get jumped or mugged. You know, <laughs> and if you if you were on red corner, girdle toe or yeah. you know, there was always battle. There was always battles. So, yeah. but I went anyway, and everyone, no one ever said anything because I was at the boxing club, uh, and. They had a good family there, a, a good boxing family called the Mullins, and we just kind of jailed straight away. And I spent the best part of my my childhood. I'd grown up uh, boxing, travelling <coughs> with with the Springside Amateur Boxing Club, so that was good. And then I, I what got age? On. What age did you first? I, 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 th- I think my, my first fight was in 1983. I'm sure. Uh, Which would have made you how old? I don't know. I'm 53, 53, I'm 54 now, 55 this year. Uh, I'd started boxing before, I'd started boxing before then, we didn't get any fights, so I've been training a long time before that, but the first fight was uh, with the Magnum in 83, then I went to Springside, and then in 86 I fought in the the Scottish finals, I lost to a a guy called Wilson Docker, who we became friendly with, and we ended up in the same Scottish team together, he moved up, he went to the Commonwealth Games in 86, before me, uh, but then he moved up in weight, and I ended up becoming the number one in Scotland. You know, uh, then I got on the British team, 
I became number one in Britain, and I was travelling the world really fighting for more so more so for Scotland rather than Britain. Still at still at the amateur level. Still at the amateur level. More so for Scotland rather than Britain. Although we trained together every month in Crystal Palace. When you went abroad, unless it was Olympic Games, you went as in your country rather than GB. You know, Scotland doesn't have a team for Olympics. So any tournament we went together, they were all my teammates. Like say, AJ's coach like Rob McCracken, Richard yeah. Woodhall, Billy Swear. A lot of guys who went on to become successful as professionals, they all boxed in the same era as me and the amateurs, we all trained together. So so it was great. Uh, and that was my, my career until 90. I remember speaking to Tommy Gilmer before I went to the guy who became my manager as a professional fan. I remember speaking to him before I went to the Worlds in 1991 in Sydney. And I had already won a medal in the... Europeans the year before, <coughs> that year, sorry, 91 that year for the following Olympics. So it was a, a qualifying process. If you won in the World Championships, you won the, Olymp the European Championships for this side, the Western side of the world, you qualified automatically. And if you didn't, then you had to go through pre-competitions. -comp but I had already won a medal in the Europeans. I think there was three of us qualified. And I was getting disillusioned with amateur boxing because you could fight or you could train for a competition and you get a draw against somebody who's maybe from an Eastern Bloc country, you know, and his people are higher up in the, you know, the, the organisation who control amateur boxing and they don't s score certain points. And it happened to me one time I went to India, I fought in Bombay and I was fighting for a medal and I fought an, an Indian kid. And in India, India's got a lot of good boxers because it came back to 1990, the Russians were over training them. They were investing money in, so, so the, 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 then they had like say, like our country, we, we've got like maybe one, two, you know, of a team, you know, like a backup team, whereas yeah. you go to these countries and they've got four and five and six, because so, the population's so mass, you know what I mean? Mm. So anyway, I, I fought an Indian kid who was number one in India, and I lost, uh, this, I, said I, they said I lost 16-4. Now you can watch it on YouTube, the facing, because it's a, it's a computerised system to score the points, you know, when they see it and all three judges, you've got three judges need to hit the, the button at the one time to score for the, the point to register. 16-4 is a big yeah. loss, isn't it? So, so, so yeah. we were, and you can watch it. And so we put a appeal in straight away and they went, even back then, and they sit and they watch it and they say, you lost 16-15. We weren't scoring body shots. And I'm saying, the, the whole target, you know, for boxing, for the waist up to the head. Yeah. Even in amateur. You know, so it, it was so corrupt. So, that was okay. Can so you explain the point system for us? As in regards to? Just for that match in so, particular. So, so, so if, I, if I land with the, the clean part of my knuckle, yep. that's classed as a, a clean shot. But what you have is you have either three or five judges around the ringside mm -hmm. have to hit the button at the same time. So if I'm sitting here and I've got my back to Sully, or Sully's got his back to me mm -hmm. and he throws a shot, I don't actually see that shot landing. You know, so I might not hit the button because yep. I don't see the shot landing. So that doesn't count, although yeah. I have ca uh, it has landed. Whereas nowadays it's yeah, they've different. Got, they've, they've got, well, still, amateur boxing still corrupt. Yeah. I mean, there was, a, there was a kid on, one of the kids I seen yesterday in social media put a, uploaded a post, it's Stevie Nunes, his father was in the, the, the Scottish national team with me, and his kid was in, I think, Russia. And the Russian kid, I think it was Russia, the kid threw him down and he got up, the referee gave him a point, he gave him a standing count, and you could see, actually see it was a shove. Aye. And he gives him a standing count. And then 
as he starts again, the guy comes in to hit him with a shot, but I don't think he actually hits him clean, and then if he stops the fight, and, and I'm, wow. Wow, yeah. That, that's what puts people off amateur boxing. Uh, so anyway, we, we missed a bit there. So I, I had qualified in the 91 European Championships in Gothenburg. There was three of us, Mark Baker, I think was the other one, uh, Paul Griffin from Ireland, although he was fighting for a different nation, he was never, but I think in the UK, the British team, there was only two is for Scotland, England and Wales had won medals, and I was one of the guys, but, so that was in the bank, that, that was a banker, so, I went to Canada, fought in the Canada Cup, which is another, like say, pre-Olympic tournament, and I beat the Russian kid, in the, the quarter-final, which was fine, but in the semi-final, I fought the Cuban, Cuban beat me in points, which was okay, so, I then goes back, and then I get, we, we goes to the World Championships in Sydney in the November. But I'd already spoke to some people prior, because people were always saying, when are you going to turn pro? You know, you're getting older. And I, I, and I wasn't old, I was 24 at that time. And I said, maybe, but I was, it was on my mind and thinking about it. So when I went to the World Championships, we fought in Sydney in 1991. And I remember being in, and this is how, how fucking mad the amateur boxing is. So I, I, f I face a Russian kid who I fights, who I beat previously in Canada. He beats me, okay? So I was mad. And the next ring to me, you've got Oscar De La Hoya fighting Marco Rudolph. Marco Rudolph beats Oscar De La Hoya. So when I comes back, I, I'm thinking to myself, I'm going pro. I'm not going to, this is because I could wait, yeah. I could train because the the Olympics in 92 in Barcelona was in August, I believe. So I kind of trained for that whole time, went to some other tournaments, fought in the, the Scottish again, defend my title, fought in the British again, and then get a draw in the Olympics, and you get a shitty, shitty yeah. result. So I just thought, I'm going to turn professional. I done it. And going back to Oscar and Marco, Oscar fought the same guy again in the final and beat him in the Olympics. So, you know, it worked out for him in, in that aspect. For me, yeah. the, the, only, the only plus sign I had is when they fought in the Olympics, the Olympics were in 92, August 92, and May 93, I was already world champion. So I was quite... Uh, wow. Yeah. So, so How many fights did that take you then? I won it my, si I won it my sixth fight. So, so you got six fights in within so the space when, of yeah, a year. Yeah. So when I became world champion, my sixth fight... I was one one of ten fighters. Uh, I was number three, I think. Yeah, I was number three. Somebody had won it in their second fight. Somebody had won it in their third. I won it in my sixth. Then you've got guys like uh, Jeff Fennick won it in his seventh. You've got uh, Leon Spinks, Michael Spinks, brother. I think he won it in his ninth. So there was a few guys, you know, had won it in the top. There was only ten guys, because only was ten anyway. I think there was twelve in total, but the top ten. So I was in, because I'd won it my sixth fight, I was I was quite happy with the rankings on that aspect. Then I won my second world title fight in my ninth fight. So I was the only fighter for some time to have won two world titles within ten fights. And then you had Lomachenko come up and he won his first world title within ten fights, his second world title within ten fights, then his third world title within ten fights. And then you get Naya anyway from Japan. He won his the same. He won his first world title fight the same as me in his sixth fight. Then he won his second world title fight. I think in his seventh or eighth fight. Then he won his third world title fight in his tenth fight. So there's only three fighters in the top ten to win one more than one world title. And it was myself, Naya, and Lomachenko. 
How many world titles do you have then? I have two. Two, yeah? Yeah, two different ones. They have three each. Right. Yeah. So that switch from amateur to professional, the the, the difference is obviously no head guards, no protective gear. Yeah. Do you think then that, why did that suit you more? Because if you've made that progression so yeah, quick to world champion and that, yeah. what was the difference? I trained with a lot of professionals as an amateur because I came from a, a gym uh, when, I, when I was an amateur, there was a lot of professionals in the gym. So I was accustomed to it. And, and at the end of my career, I was training in Croy uh, with Pat Clinton, Drew Doherty, mm-hmm. some of these guys who already turned professional and Pat was world champion and I was still amateur. So I was training and spam with these guys. So it just it suited me more mm. rather than the, the amateur. Do you think then people stay like now back then people stay amateur too long do they stay there yeah, you, you not do, enough what do you think do you think you, you get some people who stay too long because now over the last because i'm trying to think how long maybe 20 years you, you've had, had funding from government you know i mean i don't know when did the lottery funding come in in the uk probably mid to end of 90s probably end of 90s it, it wasn't when i was when i was it wasn't a bit available when i was fine early 2000 yeah, yeah maybe so for 2000 now you know, there's been a lot of funding, so in encouraging amateurs to stay amateur and getting paid, yeah. you know, you've got likes of the, the G, what, what I'm trying to think, the Linehearts, the World Series of Boxing, there's so many teams for different countries, they get paid a salary. Some are getting paid, you know, 30 grand, 60 grand, 100 grand, depending on how well they're doing and how much their medals are winning, yeah. how much success they get. Because you still see boxers, they'll, they'll do amateurs, they'll do a competition, they'll do it, they're still getting stick for turning going pro oh he's going for the money he's going for whatever like too young well, I, suppose, I suppose if you speak to any amateur fighter the whole objective is to become world champion you mm, know and yeah. it's, it's professional and, yeah. and a lot of guys will, will box amateur a lot of successful professional fighters world champions were rubbish amateurs then they suit them three minutes three, three, three rounds then they suit them you know some guys are like 12 round fighters are 15 back in the day 15 but i think it was 90 91 it changed to, to 12 rounds just before i just before i turned professional it was fit, went for 15 to 12. so some guys amateur boxing it's 100 yeah. mile an hour yeah there's no them so some guys are better professionals than they are yeah that's what i was going to ask you how, how have you seen the game change like obviously now compared to then like and well, what aspect do you think it's changed? Do you think it's became more technical? Do you think it's became a bit no, more showmanship? I don't. I, I, I'll tell you what it's changed, and it, it drives me crazy at times. No, if you go back historically to Rocky Marciano or Jesse Joe Walcott, all these guys, Sugar Ray Leonard, Muhammad Ali, Marvin Hagler, you know, and I'm trying to think Lennox Lewis probably. Uh, the, mod, to modern day, when I say mod, Chris Eubank, Nigel Benn, Steve Collins. None of these guys have strength conditioning coaches. Mm. Drives me crazy. I'm not saying it's wrong. Because I've done weights with, with my coach as an, as an amateur. But I never went near a weight. I looked at weight for six weeks before a fight, just in case any ailments or injuries, or, you know, tweaks. I, I just focused on the mechanics of what I was doing in the ring. You know, I worked on my technique, I worked on game plans, everything. I just focused solely on, you know, I'm running, I do, I do my road work every day. I'm doing my circuits. I'm doing my technical stuff, you know, between pads, balls, bags, sparring. Nowadays, fighters, everyone, you look on social media, everyone's about SNC, SNC, SNC. 
So you think it's flipped too much into that? I think so. I'm not saying it's wrong. I, I, I think... You call in Annie Joshua a bodybuilder. Because <laughs> <laughs> he gets that a lot, right? Doesn't he? He's, well, uh, I mean, he, he was a successful amateur. You know, and he, he's been on... Annie gets a lot of stick. But understand the, the politics between sport. And it's something... I, I'm, I'm sure Annie and Tyson Fury want to fight each other. But there's people controlling it. Mm. Networks control... I mean, the zone has invested so much money in anti Joshua. ESPN have invested so much into Tyson. And then we're going, I don't want to share my revenue with you. I don't want to share it with you. Yeah. I want it myself. And although Anthony might bring in so many more followers or Tyson might bring in, they're like, I don't want to do it. I've invested in you. I want my return. So then back to Mark's question, does that wind you up? Because back yeah. in the day, it's the best fight is the best it's fight. All, it's historically, it's never, that's never changed for the, the, the promoters, the managers, stopping fights for happening. It's got to be worse now though, isn't it, with the, all the, the rights and pay-per-view and, and money. They must have a bigger say now, do you think? They've always had the say. Always had the say. There's just more networks involved. Mm. Than I mean, when, when I was thinking, you had BBC, you had ITV in, in the UK, uh, ESPN's always been there, Showtime's always been there, HBO's always been there. So they've always been there. Mm. You've now got platforms like The Zone, uh, you've got ESPN the plus, yeah, ESPN. which which but ESPN is always there. So the, yeah. these networks have always been there. It's all, always been the, the political, the promotions, management has always been the, the stumbling block for fighters and fights getting made. Mm. How would you differentiate training back then to training now? I know you mentioned there's more strength and condition yeah. now. Does, is the technical capabilities of fighters taking a fall then do you think and and nowadays think, do you know what I, another thing what, what i think look, you see i don't think for my time in this region and looking and, and watching seeing some trainers there's a lot of good trainers here there is but there's a lot of people here who just want social media mm. and want followers but i don't really see many trainers working in fundamentals yeah. And fundamentals are the key to any success in any, any discipline sport. That they were, that they're the creation of the sport, the fundamentals. But nowadays, it's all how many punches can you throw, you know, and it looks good, and you go, that looks yeah. bad. I'm, I'm going to try and throw. But if you get in a ring, how many times do you actually see him hitting that that, that, yeah. that twenty punch combo? Yeah, it doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't happen. Or nobody, nobody practices getting hit, do they? Yeah. I don't or see, defending. I, 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 don't, or I don't see people. I don't see people working in defence. Yeah. I don't see people working in movement feet yeah. movement so but each their own it's maybe what's for them and what's for their fighter but I just don't see I don't believe there's enough of it mm. there's still a lot of knowledge to be gained in this region for a lot of the people involved <clears throat> there is a lot of people here who have got great knowledge you know who've came from overseas and like yourself yeah but uh, so we'll, we'll wait and see how it develops but it's certainly becoming a bit of a hub you know there's a lot of activity touch mm. wood and I hope it continues yeah. thanks to like say DG4 Round ten, and now you've got like say Isal Dars running shows. Yeah. You've got Legacy are over running shows. There was a show on the Hab Tour last weekend. Yeah, you've got Cuban boxing gym running show yeah. as well. So there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of activity, and I'm just uh, thankful and happy it's happening. Yeah. I mean. yeah. Let's just uh, look back a bit. Your career, then you've won the world titles. Yeah. How many fo more fights? Where did you get to in that? What? When did you sort of retire? And then I retired. Uh, 2000. And how many fights, professional? I had 20 fights. 20 fights. Yeah. Talk and to us about... And then my title fights. Talk to us about finishing that career. Because 
we hear of like sportsmen struggling with different things. How yeah. do you find that transition to right? That was your goal. That was your aim. Became world champion. Had the fights. I've got to call it a day. Yeah. Step back. Like what's what's I th- that I think, like? I think in ninety ninety eight, I w- I'd lost the European title fight uh, to Jesper Jensen in Denmark, and I think it was ninety ninety seven or ninety eight. And I took time off just to decide what I wanted to do, and I'd set up a business. So a couple of businesses. So I was busy working with that and spending a lot of time, which distracted me. But then, like any sports person who's got any, who's, be, who's competed at a high level for a long time, you know, when things are set up, you think, I get back training. Yeah, yeah. I want to get back. It's ingrained in you. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I get back and I start training. And then I start fighting again. I get an offer to go and fight here. So I ended up in London. It's funny because I ended up in London with one of Josh's trainers, a guy called Tony Sims, nice guy. You probably see Tony on. Yeah. He's in partnership with, or he works with Matchroom, trains a lot, trained Ricky Burns. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I worked with Tony for a couple of fights. Uh, we had one fight. I won the fight. Uh, then I had a fight in Belfast. Ricky Hatton fought against Eamon McGee, I think it was. Eamon mm. uh, McGee, wasn't Eamon Lockham. Eamon Lockham fought my time. Eamon McGee. So I got an opportunity to fight in there, and it was a four round fight against somebody, not my weight, like a weight above, and I lost the four rounds, and I'm not a four round fighter, and I took the fight thing, it's only four rounds, I mean, I, I just believed nobody was in my, he wasn't in my level anyway, but he beat me, he beat me in points, and I thought, um, that's me, I'm retiring, and I just retired for them, I just finished. What age are you? 30. 30? Yeah. No. What, 2000, what, this is 2000 and what, 22? 22, yeah. So, tw- uh, 32. 32. 32. Yeah. And uh, I just walked away from it. Was it easy to walk away no. or was it, no? no. Wait, but, what was but, the I, but I understood, just understood, I wasn't going to be a punch bag for somebody. No. I wasn't going to be in there and just fight. Uh, and you don't make any money. Realistically, you don't, you don't make any money unless I'm going to go in there as an opponent for somebody, I can make money, but I'm not going to get in as an opponent. Hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, st- I still had the uh, ambition in life. Yeah. Maybe no, he become world champion again. But and it's funny because after that fight, I got I, I had the opportunity to fight for another world title fight in South Africa. And I said no, nah. because if I can't, I, I just it just was away. It was just mentally gone. just, just, gone, just gone. let go of just it. Gone. Yeah. Just gone. So how did you? Uh, how long did it take then transitioning? Like, what did you do straight after that? Did you get straight into the coaching side of things? No, did you no, go into straight the, back into, into business. business. Straight back in, because I already had business working. Yeah. So straight back into business. I'm tough giving it up. Did you still go to the gym or was it literally no, like was, you, you, was, you went cold turkey yeah, for a long time? Then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was, I think I've seen a picture of you actually put on a wee bit of beef. On a jet ski? Yeah. <laughs> 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 right, let's get that up. We'll have a look at that. You, you get it in uh, Google. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Weir, let's go. Paul Weir. Uh, See, Scotsman I, seen I, on I, jet ski. It's funny because at that time you, that picture was taken, I was still competing actively. Yeah. But what I was doing was I had jet skis and we were going in the morning to McDonald's on the way to the beach. On a jet ski? No, on the, on the, the, the <laughs> jet ski in the back of the car, the back of the, the jeep. And we go to McDonald's, get breakfast, go to the beach at Irvine, go on the jet ski, and get back to McDonald's again at lifetime. <laughs> so, so, so I was getting a lot of McDonald's at yeah. that time, yeah. and it does put weight on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. imagine, yeah. So that, that, I went back into business, just back into working, and just try to focus my mind away from it. But you do get, it's hard. 
Yeah. Did you feel a come down after it? Did you, what did you feel? Yeah, just uh, a void. Uh, probably that's the best word to explain. A void, just something, just uh, nothing there. Yeah. Because mm. you said, like growing up, you said you liked the routine and the discipline yeah. of it, and then yep, you take yep, that away yep, from someone yep. you've had it in the art, like yep. army, different mm. things. You, you take what you know. And think I, every, every, every night before I went to bed, I had my stuff ready because mm. I'd run at half three, four in the morning, every morning. And must I get up, make my bed, put my stuff on, go do my training, come back, shower, breakfast, and back to bed again for a couple of hours. And I get back up at nine o'clock, half nine in the morning, and then I go about my business. Mm. Yeah. And then I go back to the gym again. So I had that routine, and it's hard. The routine's hard, and I understand why a lot of fighters suffer from the mental mental health issues because you, it's probably regimented like being in the army the yeah, yeah. You are, you, you've got a routine every day you know what you're doing every day your trainers expecting you to be here you know expecting you to turn up at that time you know your trains at six maybe at nine o'clock at night you know breaks in between but you're, mm. you're, you're there that whole time then you get home you're up in the morning again you're going you're running whatever you're Repeat, doing yeah. you know, it's just boom 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 and it's ingrained into you and you do it without thinking yeah yeah so what were you like in your career with with losses or injury or stuff like that? Never was had that any injuries. No? No. Cuts. I had some cuts after fights yeah. uh, where I get stitched up and then I, w- I would rest. But I was touch wood. I was very fortunate. I, I've never really had many injuries in my life yeah. through my whole career. Even now at Jiu-Jitsu, I don't get many injuries. Lucky. And what are you now? Black belt? No? Purple? No, brown belt. Brown belt, brown belt yeah. Getting there though. Yeah, getting and what have you done that? You've done that in like record time, haven't yeah, you? Yeah. I started in... Two for two fifteen, so what? Tw- seven years. Um, mm. My next promotion will be a black belt, whenever that is. That could be two year, three year, four year, five year. So do, do you think that's a reignition? Like you've gone through that phase, you're focused on business, and then what took you back into coaching, and then what took you into like because you've been competing in jujitsu. Yeah. Did that sort of reignite your fire yeah. back from back in the day? Well, do you know what it is? It's set a routine for me again. You know, for training. You know the the whole because I need to be fit because I'm com- I'm training against uh, daily and my, my training partners are young kids when I say young kids like early twenties late twenties thirties mm. and they're strong mature people so I need to work hard I, so I do my cardio I do my weights no yeah. no no conditioning stuff but I, I just do I'm not really a weight person but I, I do do some squats deadlifts bench pressing just yeah. to try and keep my strength there but I'm not really a weight person mm. and but. Excuse me, but I do have that routine back. What I do, yeah, which is good, and it, it, it makes me feel quite kind of settled. Is it? And is you it, get to hurt people again. Yeah, I mean that helps. That helps. Yeah. satisfaction. Yeah. But I'm not punching them. You're not punching I'm just them. Choking. Yeah. I'm just choking them. <laughs> he, oh yeah, but he'll hooks. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so digs. Do you think it's um? Do you think it's more routine or the desire to uh, be competitive? Uh, yeah, like yeah. you, you do talk a lot about routine, but yeah. do you? Like, do you desire to compete, to win? And that competitiveness can't yeah. go away. Yeah. I, I think routine's important for yeah. anything. You know, for any, any success and anything, I think you have to have routine. I like the, the challenge. And, I mean, doing what I'm doing now, for, especially in jiu-jitsu, in the time I've, I've got to where I am, I mean, I've, I've competed in the, the Grand Slam, which was, obviously, when, when you look at it, if you go back to something new, you can say you're going to compete in the Grand Now you can compete in the Grand Slam in all different countries, but previously it was only in the Middle East. You know, it was a, a tournament that was here once a year. Um, I've competed in the Grand Slam. I've had bronze, silver, gold. 
uh, world pro, world submission only. I'm just enjoying life, doing what I want when I want to do it, yeah. and trying to win as much as I can. But I have that routine, which keeps me settled. Yeah, it's inspirational, especially like you're not young, you know. Uh, and and you and you're you're still chipping away at it. Yeah. You're still pushing forward. You still got that discipline. Still have goals. Routine. You still, still got goals. goals. Still got goals. You're not just kind of sat back and you know you've got the goals and discipline to yeah. to keep pushing forward. Would be good if I could win the world championships in the Grand Slam. That that would be. I know Grand in, in Jiu Jitsu. If I could win the worlds in Jiu Jitsu, that would be icing on the cake kind of thing, wouldn't it? When are we getting the black belt? Oh, I don't know. You've got to up to Tabit, isn't it? When, when he hangs him yeah. ready for it, I mean. When do you think? I don't know. I don't know. I've, well, I've got four stripes in my brown belt, so whenever, whenever I get it, I get it. Yeah. It's a journey. I'm enjoying yeah, it. I'm, yeah. enjo I'm enjoying the journey, the jiu-jitsu journey, learning. And I teach jiu-jitsu a few days a week. Uh, and I'm enjoying that. It's a different aspect to what I can offer. What was harder, learning jiu-jitsu or learning boxing? I think boxing. Yeah, I do. I think boxing because the the, re, the re, good question was well, speaking about the, the range when yeah. you're in jiu-jitsu it's close contact because you're on the floor or else you're standing up. Like say you, you've got the first element is probably like jiu-jitsu uh, judo when you're you're trying to get a throw, you're trying to get your opponent to the ground when you're going to be on top. So when you're on top, you know you're on top that way. But it's boxing. I still think there's a. I'm trying to think of the word how how it worked. Understanding range and distance, you know. When when you're what what was harder with boxing because you're like a puppet. Everything has to work together, legs and hands. If I throw a shot and you move and I throw another shot, I'm not going to hit you, but I'm leaving myself vulnerable to get hurt by a counter. Mm. But if, I'm, if I follow you, you know, does that make sense? You know, I'm yeah. I'm always in range to hit you. Yeah. I can move back, I can move forward. I I don't think enough of that's implemented these days. That was hard to understand it when to move. And I think it helped me when I went to jiu-jitsu because that's a big part of it. Fall, fall on the hips, fall on the shoulders, you know, yep. the, the whole movement. The movement helped me from boxing. So I think boxing was harder. For me, it, was, it took me longer to master boxing yeah. de to, yeah. from a development perspective than it has been with jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu I found quite easy to come by. Once I understood it, I understood it. Whereas with boxing, once you understand it, you, you've got to continue, continue. Yeah, it's harder because it, there's so many changes. Yeah. But both sports have a lot in common between the hips, the shoulders, and everything's reactive. Yeah. From from my perspective, I feel that boxing's a lot more intense. Yeah. And uh, jujitsu is a bit like a, a chess game, really. It's like it's a slower, slower uh, yeah. intensity than boxing. Well, I suppose it can be depending on people. Yeah. You know, and who who your opponent is. You know, somebody might want to compete at a high pace, a high mm, tempo. Yeah. When you get somebody, but again, with both disciplines, when you understand, it's easy to slow somebody down. Yeah. And fight it, just experience, yeah. fight at my tempo. You know, there's, we, we've trained when I'm, I'm holding your lapel, you can't move. Aye. I'm controlling you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because yeah. I don't want you to move, and, I, and I'll let you go when I'm ready for me to move. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's the same. Boxing's the very same. You can slow somebody right down yeah. or you can speed it right up. And that's just the experience. Yeah. Fascinating. No, that's, I think it's brilliant. I, I love the fact that you're, you're still like got yeah. that competitive nature and mm. that's brilliant. It's inspirational for sure. So we've got a couple of questions we ask everyone that comes on the podcast. Mm. What does strong mean to you? Probably something like Mark. You know, somebody who's <laughs> physically strong. I mean, yeah. lifter, weight, weightlifter. 
Yeah, a weightlifter. That's what I would think. If you mentioned strong, I'd think that, like Thor, somebody like him, you know, a bodybuilder, a weightlifter, a strong yeah. man. Yeah. You, it's quite funny, like, you, 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 you don't seem to absorb any, like, I've not heard you mention anything negative. No. Like, this whole podcast, like, I know a lot of people talk about, oh, I get beat and, and like, I like, get trauma after I was depressed, but, mate, you've not mentioned one thing, like, negative. Is that, like, you don't mentally, is that something that was ingrained in you? Oh, like, you, you don't talk about mental health or anything like that? Do you know, it's... I know, I know I see a lot of it and a, a lot of it goes on. I think a lot of people, there is people who struggle with mental health, I understand that. And over, over the years I've seen people and you think, you get to know people and you get to know people's routines and how people react, you know, and you think, God, he's got issues. We never know what's going on with people. No. You know, somebody could be all smiley and all of a sudden go and jump off a bridge and you think, I've never seen that coming. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've never seen that. So you, you don't know. But I think there's a lot made more of it. I think people take advantage of it. For, yeah. for various reasons. Mm -hmm. I don't, I feel blessed. From, I've won two world titles, you know, I've got three healthy kids. I've got a beautiful wife who keeps me in track, you know, business-wise, everything I do, you know what I mean? So I feel blessed. What, what's it to be sad about? Yeah. I, we've, all got, we've all got good days and bad days. Yeah. yeah. But I, I try and get up every day with a smile. And I, I, it's funny because I remember what you said to me, she went, oh, like a fucking, you know, entertainer. You know, they're either a comedian, they're, they're all show, you know, when, when they're on stage and all of a sudden they're bad, they're, they're so grumpy. And then they're well, crying. I, I, get through days, I get through days like that, you know, and I'm, I'm done. You know, and you think, what's that to be done about? Yeah. So is that literally your mindset if you catch yourself feeling like that? You just... I think training helps me. <laughs> that, yeah. Back to that routine. I'm back to that routine. Don't I think yet. training helps me. You know, routine, discipline, diet, the whole... and. There's not I've made from the grassroots stage from the government about diet going through schools. And I think the government have got a lot to answer for on, on that aspect. Yeah. But the government don't want healthy people. The government want people who are dying, going to hospitals, taking medication, going to see a psychiatrist, going to see a doctor. You know what I mean? doesn't make any money if you're healthy and we're all happy and we're all walking around. <laughs> 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 it's true, it's We're running a business here. The, you know, when you're born and you get your national, national insurance number, you're an I number, you're an asset to the government. Yeah. yeah. You're an asset. No, I believe in that as well. Like, totally behind it. Like, you mean? It's, they don't teach it in schools and it should be taught in schools. Absolutely. It should be taught in schools about, you know, what you take, what you, and it's simple. You can get a McDonald's in your seat now. It shows you. Why is there no wee breakdowns in this in, in schools? You know, even a wee 30 minute class to see, right, what did you have for your dinner last night? Write it down. Why was that good for you? Why was that bad for you? Yeah. You know, portion control. Yeah. I mean, you see so many t uh, fat people. And we I can, can go down a rabbit hole here. Uh, we can. Talk about seed oils. <laughs> we, we can. I understand. <laughs> and, and processed understand, food. Understand uh, people get certain, maybe their thyroids give us something, you know, whatever but come on they always they always try and fight it when it's happened rather than getting yeah. it before it's happened so that that frustrates me but i don't show any i don't show you know if somebody's fat and they're, they're trying to train and they're in the gym and they're training i'm happy they're training yeah i'm happy they're making an effort to train but don't just go and have a hamburger when you finish <laughs> <laughs> mr paul we're on the jet ski <laughs> but that but that uh, but, uh, you know that 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 and you're right but that was for a shot. That was Aye. me. That was me, blown out. Because yeah. I've had maybe eight, ten weeks, twelve weeks 
hard training. You have the knowledge, you know what I mean? So then, but I understand when I'm back into training, you know, full-time training for, for a fight, I'm watching what I'm eating. Yeah. I'm eating, put my portions are right, my, I'm bringing my weight down gradually. And I, and I don't agree with that. That's another issue I don't agree with. Fighters who just crash weight, and I just think it's your responsibility as a professional athlete to understand how much weight you can lose yeah. and how your body can function. You need to understand that, and a lot of them now don't. And I don't know if there's enough knowledge being given to professional athletes across the board. I don't just mean boxing across the board, how to control their weight and how to manage it. I was talking about this the other day with someone. It was Toby, who we've had on the podcast mm. as well, right? Yeah. Now, I've got a history doing bodybuilding shows and whatnot, right? And obviously, you're cutting weight. You're getting in the best condition you can to step on stage. Boxers doing the same thing to make yeah. weight, right? But why is it done and such common practice to drop water weight, to drop weight, to do such an extreme last couple of days or last week? Surely you are not then... I know you're like you'll eat up in the 24 hours you'll do whatever but surely you are not at optimal performance having put such an extreme into your body so why is it still done in such common practice that people have got coaches these days nutritionists people looking at the the professional coaches that they're paying a lot why is that done like a knowledge but why is that still there you tell me like i know but we we love listen see if i'm training because a fighter's fighter's in a sauna in a bin bag on yeah. a treadmill doing this why is that person having to drop four kilos the day before a fight because that like I don't care what you can put in the following day to recharge you ain't going to be anywhere near what you could be lack, lack of uh, knowledge been, about, been put about for the the athletes but as I said to you it's, it's your responsibility to understand what you're putting in how much mm. you can take out how much you can perform but and, and this is one th- I don't think they can get in saunas anymore I think they get monitored don't they and they, they, they check their weight in certain right. organisations a week before up to how much weight they're losing but fighters think especially MMA fighters I was speaking when I was through in Abu Dhabi a couple of weeks ago working and these guys are losing like five and seven, seven kilos in yeah. a day and I'm saying but how's that possible th- there, was other, MMA, other, other, there was an MMA fighter fighting the other week one there and he missed weight by something like eight kilos yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like how do you I miss by eight kilos he's fighting the wrong I weight think, uh, you're, you're right in saying yeah. it's knowledge I do think there is ways of doing it, hmm. but a lot of people are doing it without the right guidance, without the knowledge. Because um, they've seen it in the past. I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. When, when, I, when, I made, when I was fighting, I had a book. I had a set of skills at the bottom of my bed. Yeah. So when I got up in the morning, I'd go on the skills straight away, right? I'd write the weight down. I'd go to the toilet for a pee. I'd come back, check my weight, I'd write the weight down. I'd go on a train, I'd come back, I'd get ready, dry done, go on the weight, Right the way it done. Going to breakfast, come back, right the way it done. I didn't know what was fluctuating between mm. meals, between yeah. pissing, between drinking, what I could take. Remember, whatever goes in has to come back out. Yeah. You know, now what trouble ignorant how big is your stomach? How big? No idea. You should know, surely. You're, you you compete. How big is yeah, your stomach? I couldn't say how big my stomach. What is it liters or what? No, how big is your stomach? As much as you load it up. No, how big is your stomach? What goes in? How big is it? I've no idea. A big mat. There you go. See your fist? Yeah. That's the size of your stomach. That's the size. You, <laughs> you, you dab you, you your fist. That's the, size, that's the size of your stomach. And it was just surrounded by kidneys, livers, intestines, mm. everything else. But that's the size of your stomach. Now, how much food do you need to put in there to fill that? Not much. Exactly. <laughs> so a portion control is key. I'm back at school. And then the more, <laughs> more you, the, the, you know, the less the portion is, the more you can eat. 
the faster the metabolism burns, the faster you get rid of the, the body takes what it needs, blah, 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 and just gets rid of the rest of it. It doesn't need it. That's why you go to the toilet. You know what I mean? So, yeah. That that's no. Uh, there's still you, you could we could go down a rabbit hole with this as well. There's a lot to be done with that, you know, for to get the ultimate professional. You know, I think fighters should lose a kilo a week. You know, to, you check your weight. So let's say you're going on and you're twelve stone ten and you're fighting at twelve stone. You know, so you've got five kilos. Is that right? Five kilos. Four, like four. Sorry. Yeah. Four. So so you're ahead of schedule. If you've got ten weeks to go or eight weeks to go, you're ahead of schedule. So just control control that. I seen a, I seen a fighter a couple of months ago. He was in training and I said, what are you doing? He went, oh, I'm overweight. I went, when do you fight? March. I went, why are you wrapped up? I need to get the weight off. I went, no, in Mar- no, March. I went, the key is get fit, then lose the weight. Don't lose mm. the weight, then try and get fit. Get fit first, then monitor your weight. Always monitor your weight, but get yourself fit first. Don't try putting swag gear on. Just get fit. And then we start wondering about your weight, you know, we, we see, you, you, it's my advice to you, you know what I mean? But a lot of them don't know, a lot of them are, uh, lack of experience. Yeah. So look, going back to, well, one of the things you've already said, implementing sort of better nutritional advice, different yeah. things in school. What else would Paul Weir change to make this world a better place? Get rid of the governments. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> Demonetized. Yeah. <laughs> Want to expand? Yeah. Yeah, end up Briefly. Up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, We're in an asylum run by lunatics. Fair. Fair. <laughs> All right. Fair. So what would you do in place of that government? Honestly, don't get me started. <laughs> Let, let's talk started. about the positives. Let, let's get them out of the way. What would you do? What would you create? Yeah. Look, you alluded to it before where you, you become a number and you're an asset and you, yeah. you're making money. Is that, let's say, big business and that's sort of like side of it? That's Companies, things that run that, it, you, you want to get rid of? And the, we've got governments in place. Governments don't run the, the world. You know, they're controlled by people who don't want to be seen telling governments what to do, which bit was for them. Oil companies, you know I mean? Uh, tech companies now as well. You know, control mo- most of the world. Mm. What gets done, what doesn't get done. Just there's a lot of changes that you could. I think, come back to the educational side of things. I think there, there could be a lot done within schools. I mean, you probably had similar, something similar to what I had gone through education-wise, where you get woodwork, metalwork. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. when you look, when you look at that, uh, you get art as well. Yeah. So many people become artists. Take a drawing. How many people become architects? Yeah, yeah, woodwork. Yeah. How many people become joiners? <laughs> And metal work, how many become sheet metal workers? None. We're, we're living in a society now where you, you know, everything computerized, everything's computerized. So look at the industry you could benefit if you change the schedule, or the, the workload, art, but more digital art, uh, whether it be uh, health and beauty. Look at how much you can cross with health and beauty. You know, fitness instructors could be getting done. They could be doing a wee pre thing with them at school, learning kids, diet, yeah. personal training. You know, makeup. You know, beauticians, nails. That could be, could be done in school. Yeah. Then you don't have to spend as much money on them when they go to this, like either college or university with bursaries. So there could be a lot, a lot of savings there. Yeah. You know, for the government. When did you learn about taxes in school? 
Netherland. Exactly. No, school, Netherland. Exactly. So but, but, we know how to run a business. So, so, how so, to run a business. So when you leave school, 16, 17, whatever, you leave school and you go into the big bad world, what do you know about it? You, you get a flat or you get an apartment or whatever. You've got gas, electricity, council tax. You've got your heating bills to pay. You, how to service your car. But I think less and less, like the generations now, it's getting less and less that know those things because, like you say, social media and tech and different things, they're just looking at the good stuff, right? They're looking at people out in Dubai. They're looking at all of these things. Social media is no real. Job. Like, it's not. Social media is no real. I mean, and then that probably creates a lot of, when you get back to uh, mental health issues as well. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Because you're looking at things that are fake, false, yeah. unachievable. I want to be like you. Have I want whatever to be like it is, you. and you're, you're yeah. aspiring to be someone else. When and then even the person yourself. in the picture isn't he actually doing that. <laughs> but doesn't he have that? No. Yeah. They're standing next to a car, or they're standing, you know, in a hotel, yeah. having a coffee. I'm living here for the week, and be like, wow, how do I afford that? Yeah. It's yeah. just the world we live in. Yeah. Society's mad. Yeah. A society that Paul Weir wants to change. Big time. We, we agree. We agree. Yeah, we agree, Matthew. Yeah, we agree. Do you think? Look, look. I mean, what gets me? We we live. We're from the UK. We've got oil. Okay, they've got oil here. Yeah, oil prices are through the roof. Why is that? Why why not reduce the price of oil? Let people spend more money in, in fuel, and more money could probably get into the economy and other aspects, other things. Whether it's groceries, clothing, you know, entertainment. But they don't. They try and rob you with everything. Yeah. I reckon this is a podcast in itself. We're getting all the back on for. And then we've got COVID. All <laughs> oh, right, right. Let's. Uh, Look Thank at, you look, very look, much look, for coming look, on, Paul. Look, look, look at the money it was made. In COVID uh, in the first where's quarter, that thing cut? We don't quarter. want to be cut off air just yet. <laughs> I just started throwing that in. Uh, uh, uh. Anyway, look, what's what's uh, last thing? Sort of what's next now for Paul? We you talked about jujitsu. You talked yeah. about obviously still coaching people. You're training people. Yeah. What's next? What's the plan? I take every day at a time, just one day at a time, and see where it goes. I just then got up in the morning. I know where I'm going, what I'm doing, and I just, uh, I go with it. With a smile. Yeah. yeah. I try and go with a smile. Perfect. Let's crack on. Love it. Thanks. No, Bulletproof thanks, professional world champion yeah. mindset. Yeah. No, thanks for Paul. Love that it. was, thanks for coming on. Thanks very much for the chat it. and the Thank insights. You. Good. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. If uh, anyone wants to chat with us, give us a like and subscribe as well. We keep forgetting to say that. Check out the socials down below. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.